The following conversation was recorded on April 10th, 2009 at the Institute of Buddhist Studies in Berkeley, California. Strangers to Each Other was a panel presentation to connect ministers, chaplains, and counselors to the names, faces, stories, and concerns of members of the LGBT community. This panel was facilitated by Demetrio Tofaya of the Jesuit School of Theology at the Graduate Theological Union and commentated on by Dr. Daijaku Judith Kinst of the Institute of Buddhist Studies.
around seven years of age, my, my father asked for a divorce from my mother because my mother had confronted her, confronted him on his womanizing. And I won't go into the details, but it was not a very pretty picture for a young child to experience that type of trauma, besides the trauma of, of, a, of a family be, uh, divorcing. But I did not know the degree and the profound impact that had on me as a child of seven. All I knew, all I did was just, I felt like a ball that's been tossed and turned into a violent storm. But that psychologically, emotionally, mental thoughts wise, it just really messed things up really bad. And, not, and just having that there, what it did was, I did not have a sense of, I was, what little sense of who I was was surely messed up more and disrupted. And emotionally, you know, everything. I would image it like, um, it's a character out of a book called um, Hind's Feet and High Places by, it's an allegory by a sister. But there's a figure in there that she describes that I identify so well with, which was called Much Afraid. And that's a de definitely what I was. I was so, I was already, intro I was introvert, I'm introverted, I'm sensitive. And then having that, my, my security disrupted, I just felt like a figure that was, my, on, my, on my body was disfigured and humped over and, and emanating such a, a level of fear, fear of people. And, um, but as I got into my teens, my later teens, then comes the, the conscious awareness that I'm attracted to men. And, and in that, I, I'm already a close person, and seeing how society relates to these, basically, I'm only getting negative images. You know, uh, those people, Da, 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 da. It, it was whatever the comments, they were like a thing labeled that you should not be. They were lepers. They were outcasts and clean. And so now I, I just uh, like a, uh, I just absorb it. And that is the worst type of medicine to 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 absorb. And to absorb that, what happened was I took to believe that since I was. I started to say, oh, I'm one of those people. I said, well, I'm a leper. Uh, I'm outcast. I'm unclean. So I rejected myself. But in rejecting myself, it was like taking a hammer and going to a mirror of my image and just taking that hammer and it just shattered into a thousand pieces. And psychologically, that's, it's, it's hell. To be, I have a sense of what it is to be in, in, in a, a mental, psychological, emotional hell. And um, so being a close person and being in these relationships, I didn't know. Uh, the only choice I had was this is the way it is. This is who I am. And, um, and what do I do? Staying where I was, it just made, it was just ripping my, I was just ripping myself to shreds. And so I, uh, I had joined a religious order when I was right out of high school, and um, I took the courage. So began my journey of starting to reach out. They had a psychological exam, and I shared with them, I think 
I am I'm a gay person. I was upfront and so let's see what happens. I was scared to death and then after that I, I talked to my mother, mom, uh, and I love my mother very much. I was very close to my mom. And uh, mom, I just want you to know I took this exam because she went with me to the exam. Mom, I took this exam, you know, it's hard to take up form the words and I, mom, I think da 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 da. But the grace for my mom was, you're my son. And I love you. So that's very powerful. Now we have something positive coming into the flow of an inner world that I'm starting to slowly crack in the door. As scared as I was and how I felt about myself, my image of myself, my delusion of what it, I thought it was, was really not what it was, was starting to change with that. And then I was accepted by the order and that started to change that. And then three, three years later, I just broke down and cried when, uh, when my uh, director said, you know, how are you doing? Is everything going okay? And I just broke down and cried and I said, I'm not doing okay. So the first time I really acknowledged, I am not okay. I feel very bad. And then I got connected. And I've been in and out of therapy since I was a small child because my mother, um, was, uh, she did not realize it, but she was putting too much responsibility on me as a child. So what happened was, I started to play, be an adult as a child, and so I don't know if I'm an adult, I don't know if I'm a child, and now, now I have this aspect of gay, I don't know if I'm a part of the society, I'm not a part of the society. So I hope you're hearing these relationships, how they impact one another, and how, how I'm in there as well, but it's all coming together, but something new is arising, whether it's for death or whether it's for life. I, I hope I'm being clear that there's these all these interconnectedness, and it, it, it makes up who I am. It's not so. That's why I say I'm, I happen to be gay. It's just an aspect. And um, so, it's a, uh, then came. Some years as a brother, there was in, I was in New Orleans, and there was this uh, great debate going on in the city about housing for the LGBT community because they were being prejudiced in having housing in certain areas, and they were finding that you know they, there's a for sale sign they go up and say, oh no I'm sorry you know either they'll lose the price and say it's very expensive so they can't but they would do anything to to hinder them from buying or to make it unappealing. And then finally somebody else goes in and they find out, that person got it, I think I, and they find out from word of mouth, oh, that person got it for a better price. How come I couldn't go? So I decided to go ahead and write two articles, one to the Clarion Herald, which is a, the Catholic newspaper, and one to the times Picayune. And this is my delusion. I said, oh, who's gonna read my article? Well, lo and behold, um, at this time I was associated with uh, Dignity, which is an organization of, of uh, LBGT members who <coughs> who would like to to still be honored within their Catholic tradition or have a sense of it because they were feeling such a big sense of disconnect and. Um, and lo and behold, I, read, I find out from somebody, your article was worth, that's my article. 
and my anxiety just went up. But I, what I did was, I wrote in a name that was not, I wrote in my own name. I cannot, I had to respect my order. They had no right, you know, how can I protect my order and just speak for myself? But by grace, nobody associated me at all with that order, except my community. And I was grateful for that because it could have done great damage. So I was so grateful. Uh, so in the end, I took on all the responsibility. And there was some slight uh, negative repercussions, but it was wisdom I learned from. Uh, and but in that moment, I felt very empowered, a strength within myself that I never felt before. It felt wonderful. And the kids responded. I mean, I just said this, and boom, everybody just yeah, boom, 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 boom. And I felt a strength in myself. But it soon waved. So, um, but shortly after that, I wrote an article uh, for a, a journal for, uh, I think it was just uh, for um, uh, lesbian and gay religious. And uh, they titled it, God's Gift of Dignity, a Spiritual Experience. And basically, you're hearing some aspects of that article itself. And uh, I did ask for permission from my superior when I wrote this to make sure it's OK when I was uh, given the opportunity, because I, have, I wanted to honor my community in order they have a right to know. And my superior was very supportive. So another, so, uh, so reaching out, getting a response, seeing how that is impacting me, and seeing there's something, this delusion of, of being a leper and outcast and clean, well, that's a delusion. And so I guess what that brings me to is, I can only speak for myself. This is my experience. It's true for me. Um, I've been in and out, still I'm in and out of therapy, but for different reasons. But it also involves with coming to terms with, this is very frightening to be up here. And when I started this process with my class, I was in a setting, and when I looked at uh, uh, Riven Jacques' uh, syllabus, uh, the, the last thing is, do a paper or do a project. Well, my writing, I have a terrible time with my writing. It's getting better, but I'll do anything to do to, to not do a paper. <laughs> I said, Jaku, I want to do a project. <laughs> and, it, and I said, well, Jaku, what, what, what can I write? And the word that touched me was, whatever is life-giving, if it's life-giving, it's going to have life, and it's going to be strong. And I said, well, this is my opportunity to test out and to reach out a little bit more. And I said, well, I want to do a, a, a panel presentation on the LGBT community. And so it began there. And so it's an opportunity. It's a time in my life that I'm going through a, 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 a closure one, a closure of my mother's death. It took five years. Once I brought closure to my mother's death and my grieving, then it was time to move on. And that's what brought me, helped motivate me to come here and now, being in, uh, as a chaplain and working for a Catholic institution, uh, 
there's there's some um, images of the LGBT community that are uh, that are uh, I, that I find uh, for me I differ with, and I honor that difference. I'm not going to shame or blame or badmouth. I'm just going to say that for me, I had to, in order to honor my position as a chaplain working in a, a Catholic uh, for a Catholic employer in a public institution, is that I still owe them my respect and I still owe them my honor. I still have to work to claim my voice to 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 negotiate and collaborate and. So I, I, for us, what we call term, I, I had to be in the closet. I had to hide myself. Uh, could not go to any other public places because I'm a chaplain, small town, it gets around. So couldn't make too many friends. But uh, it was very depressing. I couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> and when I came here, it was like a breath of fresh air. But now I want to, now I want to live according to who I am, an aspect, a sense of who I am. And it's not about me just being gay, but it does have a profound effect on if I'm going to work for certain employers. Or certain, some people will accept it, some people will not. But I'd rather be authentic. So, thank you. Uh, my name is Denise Segrist, and um, I also will be speaking for myself. Only. I'm a lesbian, and one of the questions that Demetrio sent us to think about was, what, what did that mean in the world for us? And um, for me, it's been very evolving for two reasons. Um, because I change as I get older, and because society has changed around me, especially here in the Bay Area. Um, I didn't grow up in the Bay Area. I'm a military brat. My dad was career Navy. My dad was Southern Texas farm boy become career Navy. And my mother was the, the daughter of a Southern Baptist minister from East Texas. So um, I was 19 before my psyche could let me deal with the fact that I was lesbian because that was not going to be a possibility in my family. Um, so as a young person it was just a, very confusing. I knew I wasn't what the fairy tales were talking about. I even at age 19 or 18, after an art class, I made a full-size mannequin, just knowing that I would just have the mannequin and a bunch of cats, because obviously I wasn't feeling this connection with uh, with men that my my parents were certainly hoping for. I was the oldest of three kids, and my brother was middle, and had his first girlfriend at eight. And my sister, the youngest, I remember driving her on her first date to the movie theaters because she was too young to drive. Um, so I was a bit of a mystery to everyone at first, including myself. Um, but I've always been androgynous looking since adolescence. My young pictures look like any other little girl, but as soon as I hit adolescence, I turned kind of androgynous and people started confusing me for a boy. And um, so I have a, a memory from about 10 to 19 
of wondering why it was so confusing to people. You know, why I, I remember being confronted in the girls' bathroom at a skating rink. The, one of the floor supervisors was asking, you know, what are you doing in the girls' bathroom? It's like, well, I'm going potty. You know? That's why we But I remember it being very confusing times for me. Um, and realizing at 19, it, the, the way I came out to my very suppressed self was through a series of, of um, what were at the time very horrifying dreams. I'd just wake up in this cold sweat, with the, having had another dream about rescuing a drowning girl from a muddy lake. So take that to the psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's how all these suppressed things slowly started coming up for me to be dealt with. Um, I came out to myself at 19, it was early 80s. So, you know, if we can travel back in time a little. I remember with friends going to the first lesbian soap opera, it was called Two and Twenty. Um, and it was not taking up by any TV shows. You had to go pay in the theater. They played it in Berkeley. They played it in San Francisco. And if, if you're a math person, your brain will immediately say 2 and 20 is 110. Why didn't they simplify the fraction? But the idea is that 2 sounded less lonely than 1. So, and that was where I was in my development, too, is, you know, I was this way, and then there was the rest of the world. What I've come to realize is 2 and 20, or 1 and 10, is only lonely if you ignore the other 9. So I've come more to a place of really appreciating my found family and the people <coughs> in the world who support me. Um, I've been through an evolutionary experience with my family of birth. Uh, I always told myself I wouldn't lie if anybody asked me directly, are you lesbian? And it took my mother three years from her point of concern to actually ask me, and I, didn't help, I did not help her. You know, she used to give me these leading lines. I'm really worried about your relationship with my friend. And I'd say, oh, don't worry, we're good friends. And I knew what she meant, but I wasn't going to go there until she actually asked me. And um, my family moved away when I was 20. Dad retired. They moved to Colorado. And so this happened over the phone, which is not the ideal, uh, in some ways, not the ideal way to come out. But there was the protection of space. And when she asked me, I said yes, and, and I realized her need to ask me wasn't because she didn't already know, it was because she had things she needed to say. Mm -hmm. And um, I began getting a letter a day in the mail, and that went on for about a year. Um, it was just part of my routine. I'd come home from work, I'd get the mail, <laughs> I'd go in and, you know, have a little snacky and look at it on the counter and work myself up for it. Um, and it was full of scripture. Um, you know, believe me, I know the scripture. Um, and so, and during that year, the only words my father said to me, my mother came out to my father for me. And I, uh, we, it took us years to get over that, my dad and I, because he got it with her spin. Not that he didn't have his own. But um, his only words to me for, for a year were when he handed the phone, right before he handed the phone to my mother, he goes, here's your mother and he'd hand her the phone. Um, so, and, and she came out to my sister who was still living at home and in high school. She just 
pretty much, I don't even think she thought of it that way. After I came out to her, she just exploded in the house and everybody nearby got hit. Um, my brother and I were still living here in California. So um, a year later, she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And as she went through that process, the diagnosis, brain surgery that was not successful, radiation and chemotherapy, this whole issue was put on hold for my family. You know, um, my mother died, basically. One thing I'm very grateful for is that before she died, she did come to a point, and before she lost her ability to speak, where she said to me, I love you, I just want you to be happy. Um, you'll figure the rest out. And I, I wish there were times I still wish I could connect with her and let her know that I didn't, and I did figure out what I was supposed to do in the work world, and I, I did find happiness, and I did find a healthy sense of self. Um, but I just have to trust that she saw that that was possible before she died, you know, and we had that conversation for which I'm really thankful. Um, one of the first things my father said to me after her memorial service was, when you come home, you come home alone. I don't want to see it. And that worked for about two years. Um, and then my sister had her baby. She was married and had her first, her only kid, turns out, who's now in college. And um, I wanted to go visit with my partner. And I thought, well, okay, dad doesn't want to see both of us, so um, I'll see if we can stay with Jessica. And she, at the time, was going through a very conservative, um, fundamentalist religious experience and, and decided that we couldn't sleep on the floor in her house because it might influence the development of her young daughter. So um, I told dad, well, we'll stay at a hotel nearby. We'll be there, call if you want to do dinner or something. And to my surprise, he invited us to stay with him and it was, he had remarried two years after my mother's death um, in the guest room of his house. And uh, we did. And one night they decided to grill us with scripture for four or five hours into the night. I, um, <laughs> that was the last time I ever tried dueling scripture with anybody because I've learned that people will know what they're ready to know. Um, their hearts will be open to whatever they're ready to accept. And beating somebody over the head with scripture, no matter what your position, doesn't, um, it doesn't open dialogue. So that was for me. That's been my experience. That's been the last time I, I did that. Um, the year I was 33, my dad and I always ran together from the age of nine. I, I was an asthmatic, and, and uh, that was a connection we had because before running was cool to do. He thought, well, maybe if we just develop her lungs, she can get some air. So we started running. And un until he was no longer able to run, that was something we always did when I visited. And so it was in a running experience that um, he finally said to me, well, I've decided that whatever it is I did to contribute to your being a homosexual, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to leave it to God. And to me, that was an amen moment. <laughs> <laughs> Like, 12 years, what took you so long? <laughs> but, but it was a turning point in our relationship. And um, when I got together with my current partner, another really big piece 
he actually invited her by name to come visit and and us to stay with him and and we do each time we visit I want to talk about my Nana for one moment because she was a rock I was so afraid to come out to her we had always been close we were very much alike and of all the relationships hers was the one I feared the most to lose when I came out to her, she goes, oh, honey, I know. I just didn't know if you did yet. <laughs> and, uh, she was a rock. And, and she really got me through the next 10 years of, of this upheaval with my family of origin. Um, she died in 99, and she's still the one I talk to. I still think she hears me somewhere when I need moments of clarity. I guess if I wanted to say anything to take, you know, just take away as an idea, I've discovered that um, I'm more like people than I am unlike them. My life is, is much like everyone else's. I'm fumbling my way along, trying to find the path from a quiet moment here and there. Um, the one thing that remains that makes being part of the LGBT community harder is that we still have legalized discrimination. It requires a different level of political savvy to protect yourself and those you love, and um, to provide for access during illness, and things that just sort of come with um, societally and legally supported marriage have to really be arranged for from a place of wisdom if you want to take care of each other. And I am hopeful as I watch the struggle in society that this will change maybe within my lifetime. No matter how you do the math, I'm halfway there. So I'm hopeful that I may see that happen before I'm dead. Um, but but that's, that's where I'm most aware of difference in my own experience. Because the struggle through life, things that I thought I experienced with my family because I'm gay. I also know straight people who had the same struggles because their mates weren't approved. They came from the wrong religion or no religion. They came from the wrong country or the wrong region. Um, they spoke the wrong language or wore the wrong clothes. And so I realized that the struggles I've had with my family are not unique to my sexual orientation. So I would. I would just say, in reaction to one of the other questions you sent, how, how would I like to be treated? Um, as any other person on the path looking for the truth, trying to be true to who I am, I'd like a fair level shot at life, at relationships, at love. Um, I've lost two friends this year because I became a um, Master of Divinity student. They just couldn't reconcile it with what they thought I was doing. And um, I continue just to figure it out step by step, day by day, year by year. And, and I'd like to live in a world where that's okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, well, uh, it's been a long journey. Born in Los Angeles, South Central Los Angeles. My father was an uh, uh, aircraft engineer for Rockwell International when 
mom went to college, became a social worker. In the meantime, so I really feel like a girl that's how such a lot of you just don't. Uh, and of course, going to church, then, you know, when I was a little kid, I did what kids do, and now, you know, we do that behind. And uh, since my family was, they are liberal, but they, they are very much churchgoers. Uh, I kind of put uh, myself on hold and really forgot, really forgot uh, who I was in order to make it through the society and the culture what you're supposed to do. Uh, but one thing I found now as I got older, your body really does know who it is. You can fool it for years, but you know what? It's going to know. <laughs> and it will come out and say, no, listen, man, you've been wrong all these years. But before that came up, I got married, joined the military, I was in the Navy. <laughs> uh, I spent 20 years in the Navy. Uh, but what really it all because I found out for me faith is a huge portion of how I live. It's not religion to religion. It's just that relationship you have with your reader. Period. Point point. Everything else is a product of that. And when I said uh, yes to going to the ministry, I really did it. You know, because then the whole issue of authenticity. And I said, no, no, well, we got to go there. Uh, and so between me and Jesus and me and God, we got in there and just kind of worked it. Meanwhile, my wife, uh, it was an interesting experience. They were good and bad. Um, she didn't understand, of course. You know, and I didn't really either, you know what I mean? Military, you're supposed to be obedient to the authority in society. In a certain places, you just don't go. Even if it kills you, you don't go there. Uh, was that one an option for me? Uh, uh, I found out that, that my authenticity is more important than anything else. And it is the authenticity that maintains my health and my my own personal psychology and where I am. Uh, it's crucial. So, uh, the journey from the time I was being raised in, in LA all the way to the time uh, of my early 40s was a very, um, a time of internal struggle. You know, you have the lyrics where you can live on the surface and say, okay, I'm fine on the surface. And meanwhile, internally your body is saying, and your mind is saying, no, I'm not really feeling this. And you can, I found myself all able to work the issue all the way through 14 years of marriage, two children, you know, all the way through, until it got to a point when my journey, my, my journey of faith said, no, this is who you are. And it's not an easy thing to do because there's a price to pay for being on the price to pay. I think, um, I mean, for the for LGBT and queer folks to be who you are, they're the price to pay. Um, legality issues, employment issues. Um, you're going down the street and people, and I, and I experience, I call it, uh, cocoon of ignorance a lot. <laughs> you know, 
Uh, and, I, and I've learned to give people enough grace so that they can somehow learn and come into themselves. Because I had to go through it. You know, life is not static, life changes and moves and shapes. Uh, and it, a lot of it has nothing to do with society and culture. It's two different, two different worlds. And now I'm much more settled in myself. Uh, and I, during that time, also developed a new appreciation for uh, diversity as it relates to religious and spiritual diversity. Because I never heard, I never thought I wanted to be at all. I mean, as I was going through this, I was going to Regent University, uh, Pat Robertson Seminary. And in fact, they say, well, you had to give a bio. So I wrote bio, say, yeah, I do it for gender issue, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, no problem, come on in. I've got a scholarship to go there. Uh, because I found out that one of the major donors of Pat Robinson's ministry is the guy who does the sex surgery. But they don't ever say that. <laughs> but that's one of the major supporters. And he had to explain to Pat Robinson what it really is. And after the explanation went through, it, said, oh, okay. And so now, there are people who go there, I mean, they don't come out totally, or it's still an evangelical conservative institution, but they are aware of the situation. They are aware of where that is. And trying to work that, I think, when you get into issues of money and support, it creates problems. Uh, so they're trying to work that through. But I found out, though, that God is working and working things through in a way that is really beyond my comprehension. Um, so, you know, after the military, and retired from the military, um, after the wars and stuff, I um, found myself in Berkeley, California. Uh, I never imagined being in Berkeley, California. But I found Berkeley through a pandemic, actually. Uh, because I was going to therapy in uh, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, and I really tried to figure this out. You know, like, what am I crazy or what? You know, I mean, come on. And so the therapist said, no, you're fine. This is just, this is how things work. You know, don't get society confused with, with who you are. It's two different, two different things here. And through the pandemic, I my mentor, uh, bless his soul. Uh, now he was only in Virginia for six months to close down the church because he had come back to California. And during those six months, that's when I met him. And through, I, you know, and each person in my life references a path for me. Each person. I mean, there's, for me, there's no. Uh, such thing as accidental means, because everything goes into shaping and forming who we are. And so that one person, that, that one crucial point in my life that opened up my life for Berkeley, my life for PSR, my life to see God in a vast new way, where God is not really, for me, in my life, God is not concerned necessarily with, well, all right, what are you, uh, are you UCC? Or are you, uh, you Muslim or Buddhist or what? 
It's not about that. It's about that, that relationship with the divine, with the creator, with God. And that motivates my life to a whole thing. To the whole thing. And then what motivates me also is realizing that each person here was thought of first. The divine or God thought of you first. That wasn't me. I mean, that, to me, that's a crucial thing to remember in my own personal self-esteem and the work I do. It's really that I am one thought. And that God has that thought. And I'm a manifestation of that thought. And as long as I remember that, I'm fine. <laughs> but I find out that the world, from my experience, doesn't always think about that. You know, and that's why I get into the ignorance and stuff like that. And that's, and that's where I am. Uh, but I think it, it's a lot of the, uh, and the trans me from my experience, I'm not speaking for every trans person, but from my particular experience, uh, being transgender is a complicated issue because society teaches a very, uh, you know, a very separate, I guess, Male, female. Let's legalize it. Okay. Male, female. And you don't cross fast. You don't do it. You know, one or the other. And, when, and, and that creates a problem because everything legalized, like in Virginia, some of the trans people, uh, they get harassed by the police. You know. Uh, even here, they will harass. They're more cunning about it, <laughs> but, they do. but they do the same. Uh, and so for me, community is very important. The church I go to now is called the uh, City of Refuge, and the bishop is led, but she embraces everybody, radical inclusivity. And so that church is my, uh, is probably the core of who I am. Because through that church, I can be whatever, and whoever God has called me. And so when we get to the area of, of, of Jesus or Buddha or any other religious leaders changed the world. The key is they were different and they were authentic. The world cannot change unless you are those two things. So if if I choose to compromise and to be obedient to the head of my system, we're not going to change at all. But if I can follow my faith and knowledge, that's when the world is changed. want to recognize each of you and I wanted to say a couple of things about the fact that this is um, there's a Buddhist perspective on this too um, but I'll keep those comments short because I think the um, listening deeply and empathically to each of these stories is fundamental to the Buddhist perspective and that's we don't need to bring in theology or understanding it. our practice is this deep listening and I think I'll just leave it at that. Because I don't want to bring in a lot of um, concepts. Um, the stories are pure. Thank you. Okay, what I would like to facilitate now is um, I'd like my class uh, to go ahead. It's your opportunity. And Ken, if you can just kind of monitor, I would say about 15 minutes for, for the class to ask their questions to any of the panelists. 
so it's open now to my classmates to ask any questions they would like of any, any of the members of the panel. As a class member, what about the others? Um, you're welcome to go ahead and, and, add, and ask questions as well. No, I want to hear all the voices. Okay. That'll be fine. So anybody, it's open now to anybody to ask any questions of the panelists. Uh, I would be interested in, uh, as a minister, how you would suggest uh, uh, we might help out young people. I don't know what they teenagers, <laughs> you know, uh, just young people who might be uh, struggling with this. What would your suggestions be for uh, someone uh, might be a minister? One, uh, one resource that I am aware of and that I, I've utilized is called the Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, which is called PFLAG, where, where this goes back to my, my theme of interconnectedness. As I come out and it starts affecting me, it also affects my parents, my mother and my father. You know, what are people going to think about me that I have a lesbian or this type of child, sexually oriented child. This is a group of parents that come together to support one another and to support their children. And um, I'm, I came in contact with them in New Orleans, Louisiana. And in fact, when I began my uh, clinical pastoral education, I applied for a scholarship from them and they supported me and get, they gave me a thousand dollar scholarship for my uh, clinical pastor education, which was very helpful. So that's a resource. There is a resource. Uh, that resource is available anywhere to support parents and also uh, with their children and their own journey as well. I would just want to say that as a minister or pastor, anyone, just be aware that you have going to have a huge impact on that kid's life. Like whether you reflect back to them that the problem is homophobia or the problem is them. You know, whether you give them an image that their lives are holy or that their lives are problematized is going to have a huge and probably lifelong impact on them. A few affirming words from a spiritual authority figure can make a huge difference. And the word goal is education, education, education. Uh, at least for, from my experience with the transgender community, uh, uh, three of the examples in, in the Employment Non Discrimination Act. Uh, so it goes to Congress. Uh, all right, that's with Barney Frank. Um, he said, no, we can't do that. Go ahead and put the trans people on the bus. Cause we're not going to get it passed because the uh, the first or three two letters of the alphabet G L E English. We got we have to get those. We have to have liberty for those as for non discriminated for the trans community. We're not there yet. Uh, which which reveals certain things. One is the issue of education. Uh, it reveals the issue of uh, fear. And the issue of faith. Uh, and a lot of, even though the church, uh, in my humble opinion, has gone 
so subservient that they weren't going to engage. Uh, it starts at the church. And the church and other community resources need to really educate through like uh, curriculum. Example. So right now, the Human Rights Campaign, as well as the National Institute of Transgender Education, they have curriculums which can be brought into the church or into the community that will actually train the community on how to understand, to determine with, and deal with the issues. Uh, I just think we're me personally. Um, and then really, in, in really addressing the issues and realizing that children and youth are bombarded with a lot of negative images uh, daily. And so the church, or the community rather, taking responsibilities, okay, and, and looking at it, okay, well, the church must be active in addressing those issues. The society and the, the hegemonic structure, they make state tools every single way. So the church needs to be engaged. And in my opinion, too, also, the, while all ministries are important in the church and community, the two that need, need to focus are the seniors and the those are the two groups that kind of get like, oh, you know, one's too old, so you know, you're out the pasture. The other one hasn't learned yet, and just taking his time. So the children and youth get left out, which are two very important things. Um, and the question is, what is community? What is community in the 21st century? What does community mean? Um, and I think if that is in the church culture, then the youth will have a better chance at being comfortable with me. And not just GLBT children, but just children, period. Because right now there isn't any way that, I don't think they have connections sometimes. Uh, at City Refuge, there's an intentional way of making connections with the youth. But that is a very intentional thing that Bishop Summer set up. I mean, it's not something that, oh yeah, let's put it together. No, it has to be very intentional. But I, go, I will go back to education because I find out that the reason why Congress doesn't pass a lot of issues is because they haven't properly educated. And so we have to really, it's a generational issue that has to start like yesterday. I want to add on to what you're saying about connection. Um, I would say one of the most important, two, two really important things is to, to find some point of connection with the young people who who come for feedback and see if you can identify and build on their gifts. I think as humans find ways to be in the world in connection with others and use their gifts, then they'll figure out for themselves who they are and what they need to do. They need to know a place to go. And if you don't speak up in the church, right. they don't know that there's a place to go. And by keeping quiet, you support purchase and victory. By opening up and speaking out, you support the awareness and acceptance of diversity. And that's a key point of inviting these people in, the little people, the children who are or five, six years old, transgender, you know that early. Yeah. Others, 
like LGB it's more um, it's not a gender issue it's a sexual attraction issue so it opens up later in life and adolescence but even the word itself but visual, visually you know treating them like within the community but you're right you've got to speak up and say something so they don't worry about it otherwise they're going to see it Ignorance and delusion and fear and lostness and that's not. Right. They will hear from the religious right that what they need to. Yeah. Well, I was going to Regent. Uh, I mean, Regent, because it is the more conservative Republican area. But I mean, like uh, their media system. I mean, their propaganda is skewed out. At, you know, at fast rates. They have a whole school for propaganda. <laughs> so, I mean, and then I came over to, to Berkeley, and I'm like, so, where's the voice? So, the only voice that's really being heard is the, the conservative voice or whatever. You know? And, and one, one thing I'm happy is that my church does have, have they have creative voice. Um, you know, through websites, through Vigil Funny Points, people. But I think that voice is, is key because if we don't speak up, then those persons who really don't. Christine, you had a question. Yeah, I just first want to thank you all for, for letting us hear your personal experiences. I know this is uh, it's hard to be just sitting up there and exposed like that. But what we're trying to learn is, um, as pastoral counselors, to explore and try to understand many different things in people's lives, you know, for instance, last week we were taught to be kind of, uh, we discussed being midwives, and then I I gave my experience of giving birth, and it felt sort of exposed, so I kind of understand <laughs> to be up there, so I really appreciate it, because it's it, it'll help us be better counselors, but part of what we're supposed to do is um, not get into a really long, ongoing counseling, you know, as as more a support and um, so I guess my question is you know supportive and, and it was good to hear that about that it's going it, it will have a huge impact if we're supportive and so you know I'll work towards doing that but I guess my question is um, someone comes to me in my temple and, and is struggling um, where what would I do to refer that person you know starting out with being supportive and listening do I look for things in my community to say, you know, you could go visit? I mean, I can only take it so far. That's why, I, you know, I'm not a, a counselor and I'm not trained to really go into long-term therapy. But I'd like to be sensitive and know what, where to refer them. And what to look for in my, or in my community. And so is your question? My question is, uh, you know, uh, what resources, are there? resources that I could look for. That I could have on hand, you know, kind of have. PFLOG is huge. There, what is that? The Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays is huge. Okay. I don't know if they have a trans component yet. Um, Do you? They're working on it. They need one. Yeah, they're working no. on it. I'm also up in Washington State. I'm also up in Washington State. So, okay. I, so I'm just thinking I'll have to look for my own. There are some books, Loving Someone Gay. Okay. Um, oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, 
I'm going to need a few minutes for okay. file retrieval. <laughs> I would say that every every area has a local paper. Okay. You can have it lying around your office. You know, like okay. there's That's the counseling idea. centers are listed there. You know, the sense of community and that you know, okay. people do things like publish newspapers. <laughs> and also check to see if they have it's called a a, a a gay yellow pages. I know, I don't know, they might call it differently. Rainbow different. pages. Yeah. Um, we, have, we have a rainbow community right up the street from the temple, so I should go Yeah, so that, okay. that would just, you would have a whole bunch of resources right there. Okay. But the key there would be how to um, assess which are quality, which would really be beneficial for the person. So I, I would add that in there. There's a wonderful book by Justin Tennant called Transgender. There's a whole bunch of intellectual you Transgender Journey. Pardon? Transgender Journey. Uh, Who's the author? Justin Tennant. Oh yes, he was. He just spoke at the PSR this past summer. Yeah. Phenomenal book. Uh, that book got me through those first years of trying to figure things out. Uh, and, and the author is Justin Tans. T A N N I S. Yeah, J. Uh, J U S T I N T A N I S. Okay. And uh, Molly Cott. No, Molly. Get Molly Cott's first name. But it's Molly Cott. Uh, and she has transgender journeys, transgender journey, where she has stories of different transgender people in it who go through their experiences, and there's a book. Uh, so that's another one. If anyone thinks of some later, you know, to, to get us with it, I'd appreciate it. That'd be great to have them in the office. I would inquire into your community. Um, there's, there's always different groups, and the question about quality is important. Uh, to pick support groups and not social groups. Right. Um, but, um, for example, I went to Tucson, and they had this really, what was it called, win something. Uh, but it's a really wonderful, great group of people. and. They had all kinds of groups underneath them. They had support groups and, and education groups and groups to obtain social fund, um, mutual support. They had multiple lesbian groups that I was kind of involved in. They had gay groups and they had public defense and parties and <laughs> potlucks. And it, but the thing is, all those, all those people know resources. And um, we had a volunteer emergency uh, women's violence um, hotline. And, and the diverse, the more developed ones are very, are very good. Uh, Arizona was wonderful. Uh, Vermont and New Hampshire was wonderful. Michigan sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I would visit uh, the website HRC. They have to issues, but they have curriculum also. And then the NCTE, the National Center for Transgender Education. Okay, sit one out, NCTE, National Center for Transgender Education. Now, the HRC, you have to send trainers out who have to come out to the community and act in training. So they have transgender educators. So that's Thank you. Yeah, my brain finally <laughs> found something. Um, and, and I know that some of these are older books, 
But um, I found them very helpful. There's another work by Del Martin and Phyllis Lyons called Lesbian Woman. Um, a book called Another Mother Tongue by Judy Gran, G-R-A-H-N. Um, there is a website, groundspark.com, recently renamed groundspark.com, and it produces videos um, and curriculum to help specifically in schools, but it's a great resource. Um, also, if you're just looking for education pieces, listen, um, G-L-S-E-N, if you search on that, you'll get all kinds of stuff. It's a, I'm not going to remember the acronym right now, okay. but uh, also another thing is if you call local hotlines and ask for resources, they've got them posted all over the wall for working with folks who are in acute distress, and they would have something a lot more current than some of this. Okay. And in this local area is the specific center right on um, Telegraph, which is a good resource center uh, for the LGBT community. It's been in existence for about, I think, over 30 years, around 30 years. So they provide um, counseling, and they have posted all types of resources there, too. And that's on Telegraph? Yes, and they may, maybe they know of, of, of something in your own area. Anybody else would like to ask a question? Uh, the whole coming out issue uh, is more complicated if you are living with family. Uh, there's always the question of society's acceptance and your family's acceptance. Uh, family of origin? Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, many students in junior college or high school or, uh, are uh, living with their parents and listen course is going to uh, exacerbate uh, any issues that are involved in coming out and I was wondering uh, how you would address that uh, before you answer I just want to say Monica I love your doing hair. We haven't used well, I haven't seen you for about a year but it's uh, about <laughs> It, 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 I have to listen to my own time clock, and for and for my for me, when it was time for me to enter the religious life, and as I was starting to open up, I only thought I need to respect my mother, and it's time for me to ask her. But that also had I also had a sense of some degree, maybe to some degree that I can trust my mother, that she will not hurt me that by her experience in which, and this is me, a child, again, a mother, a single mother raising three boys, competing in a world uh, with men, nothing against men, but as a woman, there's some dynamics there that has to be aware of it. And uh, she, and I, I, I saw the battles that she had to, to deal with. And, uh, and just, so I'm just grateful that the relationship, the response was very positive. As for my father, <clears throat> my father is what we call very masculine. Also, my father did not know how to be a father. He also ha had issues. He was a sex, <coughs> sex addict and um, an alcoholic. And 
I asked him uh, when he was dying, it was like he, he got contracted prostate cancer. And so I got involved with a group called Coming Out during this time when I was dealing with this issue. And it was very scary for me because I was scared of being rejected by my father because I already saw how he treated, with, treated my mother when he was confronted by her. I had my little brother live with him, and that's when I, um, after he died, my brother shared with me his experience with living with my father, and that, that started to confirm my suspicions of his behavior. But I was graced. I wrote a letter to him, and he never responded, but I called him, and I asked him, Dad, did you receive that letter? And I said, he said, yes, well, what do you think about it, Dad? And this is very scary, you know. And, uh, but I was graced. They said, well, you're my son. And when I asked my mother, you know, I shared this with my mother after he had passed away, she shared, she said, uh, well, he realized, my experience with your father is I realized, he probably realized that he is dying and that death has moved him to, to be a little more compassionate. And, uh, and I'm grateful for to see that <coughs> whose life was so dysfunctional. So it's scary. Because I know from my experience um, with, the, with Covenant House, a lot of the, the young people who are on the street are, some of them have experienced being totally rejected by their families, thrown out on the street, beaten up, and they have no place to go. And I'm grateful that I haven't had to have experience that. <coughs> so it's, that's a tough question. I want to talk about found family for a minute. Um, I didn't come out while I was still living at home because I knew it was going to be my fire person. I have had friends kicked out in the middle of high school who did come out, and two who committed suicide because they couldn't deal with the rejection of family. Um, I would probably encourage young people to survive. I think it was Rona Barrett that said, to make a difference, you have to last. Um, and to rely on found family. I, at any difficult point in my life, there were wonderful people who became family to me, even though they were not any part of my family of origin. And I strongly agree with that. That's helped me along the journey. I, I would also like to say that every kid no matter what age, is terrified of telling their parents. And we all know stories of people who were thrown out of the house and had exorcisms performed on them and all sorts of things. But um, that also, I think it's a minority of parents who actually do throw their kids out of the house. Like most families that I know of have sort of crisis for five years or so, and then they get over it. And it's useful as a pastor to have that larger view, especially if you have any contact or awareness with the parents. Um, because it is, it's much better to be on the other side of that five-year crisis than it is to be dreading it for your entire life, you know. Um, there's there one other bit I wanted to say. Yeah, for me, uh, when I was a kid, I mean, I didn't have a language. I didn't have a language, I didn't have models. Uh, but by the time I, I, I we're ready psychologically to come to terms with being transgender. Uh, I was in the military. I've been around all three European 
in Africa, but we've seen enough of the world to know, hmm, things are just not the same, you know. Uh, and so once I joined, once I joined the MCC, Metropolitan Community Church, uh, it was very affirming. I was able to utilize the gifts that God had given me. Uh, it was after that that uh, my mother and I met, and my sister and all, and she said, you know, I love you. And, you know, and she just said Monica over and over and over and over and over. And she said, you know, I mean, I love you. You're my child. Now, would that have happened like when I was 10? Or, I don't know. Uh, there is a place, I almost say, uh, for a new person, like an egg, you know, you've been on the egg for a long time, but eventually the egg burst the shell. And someone was like that for me. But when my mother said she loved me, she liked me, and that really made it. Of course, it did, it did happen. But I wasn't ready for it, and I got very ready for it. Um, and now I think that's a reality uh, that's crucial to understand. You know, that the training and education has not been here for centuries. And the trans, the trans issue, like other things, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Trans people way, way on back. But for some reason, I speak to that kids to forget. <laughs> I don't know why we forget who we really are. Like, oh well, no, that's not gonna and then come back up again because it's present and it's who we are as a species. So it's like, okay, so let's re-educate. And so we I think for succeeding generations, the more education we do. I always go back, I think. Education is so important, especially for ministers, because a lot of ministers go to seminary and they don't get trained on how to do this. I mean, I'm fortunate to be a PSR where we do go that very radical experience, so to speak. But what about the ministers not being trained that way? You know, I think it's crucial to really for the ministers and the pastors to create communities and ethos and environment to where people, human beings, feel comfortable about saying, this is who I am. And then being able to work that through, instead of having to go to a meeting, instead of go to a bar. <laughs> well, I can't figure it out, so the minister at the bar will help you out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, credit for the children just moving go and know they can be open and honest with you. I mean, you can't go to a church or a temple or a synagogue and be honest about open for your already can't go. But in terms of education, at what age do you think that it is with kids that you make haven't recognized that there are these differences? Is that some of you something you just preschool? Was a cross dresser when he was young, 
But there, I think there's a difference between cross-dressing and transgendered. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so and sexual orientation. And sexual orientation. So there's three. Sexual yeah. orientation, <laughs> sexual orientations, cross-dresser, and transgendered. So you helped me out. But my brother was not transsexual. He was tra a cross-dresser. Yeah. It's a completely different thing about sexual assignment. Yeah. And, and cross-dressers are both uh, male and female. Mm -hmm. And it's a throw for them. It has nothing to do with gender identification. For a transgender, it's all about a dress for me feels like drag. Uh -huh. right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends. And I, I would say also that it depends on the person. There are mixtures. We're talking about trying to find a, a, a character to identify something, but actually it's a spectrum. Right. And you'll find mi mixtures and more of this and less of that. And, it flows all over the place, but it's like words can't describe something because they are limited in their capacity, and so is these adaptations that we're talking about. I guess I'll only add uh, another part of the uh, community should be good training of parents. Uh, I know when I was coming up, you know, boys like blue, girls like and they in, in child was trained early on to really look at that and live by that code of that particular color and all that entails. And then you find out years later that there are like a lot of problems and social issues that are start right there. So it's almost concerning and while this could be scary for our structured society, but to let the child go into now that is scary because we have a structure and, 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 and everything got to look a certain way and got to be, you know, because we have to communicate and live in the world. But the psychological consequences are overwhelming as is shown. So allow the child to grow into who they are. And you know, if the if the if the male child likes something that may be female or androgynous or whatever, I would say allow the child to because it, it, this thing is creating a whole, a whole community, which I would be right off. So I'd like to kind of add a couple things to that, which I think from a Buddhist perspective, we would say that all of the characteristics that we have are fluid and interdependent. And when you try and nail things down into categories, it's like trying to catch a, a, a pod of minnows or something. You know, it just slips right out. So there's this sense that um, when we when we approach things from the point of view of categories that we've made up, we make up categories and then we look at reality and say, oh, where does the reality fit into the categories? And then we think the categories are real. Right. Right. Instead of saying, well, these are categories that we're applying to this complex, interdependent, constantly arising event that is each human being then so this is a you know this question of authenticity and moving through one's own journey and not being caught in categories would be from a buddhist perspective central um, also i'd like to thank uh, the, the panelists for your openness and willingness to talk and especially Dimitrio for 
Thank you very much. My question is about the, the GTU, which I realize has a number of different subkinds of experiences around it, but what has been for you the good news and the bad news, and how do we support the good news, and how do we fix the bad news about the LGBT community? me as I am. Good news for me is, is I'm grateful to be in an environment where I feel like I can breathe and be a little more, uh, deal, to face and deal and question this aspect of, of L queer, LGBT, the rainbow community. Um, it's scary because it, it always means I'm going to have to take a risk and I'm going to have to trust. And that's nothing new. It's always going to be something like that. But if I'm going to, I think it's uh, meeting good people. The GTU is filled with a lot of good people. And, um, and I'll just take risks and trust. And I have to face that. Um, if I experience the rejection, what I'm coming to do in this class with self to aware, that's a delusion. Whether they, you know, <coughs> to, to say that you're I'm rejected is to, it's almost like saying you're not interconnected with the community. That's a delusion. Whether you say uh, I'm not or interconnected or am interconnected, the one who accepts it is, uh, to me, it's almost like saying, that person is almost like saying, yes, you are interconnected, You're always in some way or shape or form, but, and I do the same thing, I might uh, reject somebody else, well, that's my delusion. That person is still interconnected, a person who hurts me or something. Like my father, you know, the gift I learned from my father was, of interconnectedness was, I can't expect somebody to give me what they don't have. He just didn't have it. How can I expect? And if a person is not ready to expect, accept or affirm that interconnection, that's just where they're at. I'm at a different place. So I think I've met some good people at the GTU. Uh, some of some of my friends, and you're your present one of them, Lisa. Uh, uh, you, you were very affirming because uh, I, uh, Lisa's my fundamental moral theology professor. And, I, and I, I took the risk of doing a paper, and I said, oh, Lisa, I want to do it on this. And, and you were very supportive. And that was very scary, but it was also very affirming. I'm not going to find out. So I think that's one of the good news. And also, the ability to have this panelist, you know, uh, Jaku and Kumi, who was the register, this institution, and then to be able to put out the flyers in the different schools. I think that's the good news. I don't know what about the you all have something to add or to respond. Yeah, I'll just uh, this whole period of I never heard of GTU. Never. I mean I grew up you know, going to work and serve other route. Uh, and so the fact that I'm here lets me know that it's not really just me. That if there is a journey, there is a path. Uh, really beyond my comfort, it really is a mystery. You know, 
And GTU represents the part of that mystery that's affirming that is um, it's affirming and hospitable. I mean, of course, anytime human beings are involved, they're never perfect institutions. reality. But then that imperfection also allows for for growth and for research. Where is Monica right now? How real and present is Monica? Uh, so then when I go off the holy hill into the bark, <laughs> I mean, that bark gives me the balance. <laughs> because of that, from my experience, the vast majority of people don't have goodness education. They don't. Uh, they're in their place, so I gotta pay my bills today, I gotta, I gotta get my child to the daycare center. I mean, they're in that world, and that's a valid world to them. So being in that, it, 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 there is a tension there. There's a, a significant tension. But having a place that is striving to be what they've been called. And what that is, you know, a lot of them now, liberal institutions, but beyond that. You know, it's about a place where you can be who you just are. There's no pretense. You know, mind with having a bad day today, okay, fine, I'll have a bad day. You know. Well, you don't have to have any kind of uh, pretense. You because, especially, I think the GTU, uh, from my experience, people who graduate from the GTU, because they are, because they can be who they are. When they get out there, they make a difference. That's the And most of the people around me who are in ministry, who come out of the GTU, they are who they are. Take them or leave them, that's who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a church on that now, which is a church for the fellowship of all people over in Francisco, I mean, uh, Howard Thurman, I'm the Kurt Howard Thurman, not that he was the, the the backdrop for civil rights. And Howard Thurman also taught at the GTU. And then you have Martin Luther King that comes in there also. Uh, and that's where the GTU, I mean, it's PSR, but PSR part of the GTU, where I can have engagement with Buddhists, uh, Catholics, with, with Muslims, a variety of human beings who are all created in my mind, point of view, by just one creator said, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the joy of being that place. Well, when I was that region, it was all about one little thing there, you know, all conservative, there's no diversity. If there is diversity, hide quick. <laughs> you know. And a lot of it wasn't about race, a lot of it was just about adhering to the narrative that exists. You know, versus GTU says, no, challenge that narrative, critique the narrative. And change that. What I'd like to do is go ahead and just let you, Sharon and Denise, finish responding to Lisa's question, and then I'll go ahead and just bring bring the panel presentation to a close. If there was any final comments that you wanted to address with Lisa's question. The GTU is the most conservative context I've ever lived in. I've been here for four years now, but um, I'm glad to have found it. 
uh, created uh, relationships with Christians that I didn't have before. Um, the good news to me is that um, we're all allowed to be here. Uh, I, I fully expected, I'm Presbyterian, and so there's a huge diversity from conservative to liberal in that um, denomination and in my classes in San Anselmo, SFTS. Um, and I haven't passed for straight since I was 12. So um, it's just very nice to be here. Even I'm in a denomination that's not currently ordaining the LGBT community. So I'm on the eight-year plan because I'm part-time while I work and lead my life in Livermore. It also gives the community hopefully some time to catch up. I'm hopeful. Um, but I'm thankful that the dialogue is happening and that there's room for all of us here. That's something that I appreciate in my classes and in my daily interactions. Um, it's not a given in the world. Um, there's a bookstore in the Tri-Valley, Livermore, Pleasant, and Dublin area, a, a, Christian bookstore, if I want to remember what the hate you because you're breathing look looks like, all I have to do is walk in the store. And um, I'm thankful that I don't have that when I'm here. And that there is space to explore my faith journey and learn.